Welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, and along with my good friends Reese and Kyle, we're going to be reacting to the Kansas City Chiefs win over the Buffalo Bills on a Monday afternoon football. Ain't nothing like a Monday afternoon. Dude, heck yeah. More football, more action, (laughs) more laughs, more great times with the boys. A good old 4 p.m. game. It was a 26-17 win that puts the Chiefs at 5-1 to start the season. A lot to dive in today. A lot to dive in. But before we do that, uh, Reese is going to give our podcast a little shout out. Ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, I'm sure you've heard us say at the end of most of our podcasts at this point, we thank you for tuning in today to Fountain City Sports Media and then something about becoming a friend of the podcast. Well, I'm here to let you... You also say it so well, Reese. You you say it like someone from like, I don't know, like, I don't know, <laughs> from no, like I, PBS or something. Like, this is a PBS broadcast that, or some shit. I, I send that bit of the reel to NPR every week to the point that like, stop contacting us. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> I mean, you honestly do it so well that you're probably going to be bought up by an NPR or like CBS. Yeah, and truly, truly. Dude, I want to be. Then it's just going to be Kyle and I, and it's going to be us fighting. I, uh, it is my goal to be the stopwatch on 60 Minutes, not the commentator, but the tick 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 tick. One day. Did you guys know all along that was a human? Oh wow. Man, if his voice is as mechanical as his acting, he's great. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> Brushy so journalists have hailed him as Wooden. <laughs> wooden Award winner. <laughs> yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, as you've heard me mention before on our <laughs> outro tag, becoming a friend of the podcast and what does that mean? Well, what it means, ladies and gentlemen, is checking out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. And uh, we have three different tiers of being friends of the podcast. Just an example for as little as $2 a month, you can be officially a friend of the podcast. Now, what does that get you? You receive a shout out on air for being such a great friend, as well as getting your name officially added to the chronological friends of the podcast list. Now, that's that's what the $2 will get you. The next one up there, we got a $5 tier, which is just like the $2 tier, but then you start getting access to bonus content, including Season 0, which were the episodes we all made finding our legs <laughs> and honing our craft during the bunker season of quarantine. Now, which which Kyle does not want you to hear because they are so controversial, they are so hot, they are so juicy, so hot that Kyle does not want you to listen to them. So please, I don't donate. know what you guys are talking about. Those episodes are the crucible in which our friendship was forged, in which our rapport was born. So on the contrary, I need you to go to Patreon and listen to all of those because that's where the gold is. Don't listen to Armando. He doesn't want you to hear the truth. Yeah. But these are these are episodes that they requested for the, the Clinton Senate hearings, for the Trump Senate hearings. Uh, these are very highly controversial episodes. So you can get access to season zero. You can get access to the outtake reels as well as exclusive bonus content that is currently in the works. So if you want to get in on that, become a $5 tier member, which gets you more than friends benefits yep you uh you're also going to hear some beer reviews that you have not heard before uh some by our friends of the podcast wyatt mills professional pitcher 
for the Seattle Mariners and Weldworks Brewer Skip Schwartz. Last but not least, at the $10 per month pledging, you become best friends of the podcast. Man, we're tighter than a python hugging an octopus. I just want to say, wow, you're a good friend, the kind of friend we'd want to have a beer with. You choose the beer and we'll spend the episode reviewing it dedicated to you. This will get you everything the first two tiers get, bonus content, receive a shout out on air. You also get to ask a question on the air and you choose the brews. Now, why am I bringing this up today? That is because we have our first, our inaugural, our patient zero friend of the podcast. And not only are they a friend of the podcast, they are a best friend of the podcast. I mean, patient zero sounds a little dark, don't you think? There's nothing dark (laughs) about the happiness in my heart that Jordan from Cedar Falls, Iowa, is our first official best friend friend of the podcast shout out to jordan from cedar falls thank you jordan dude jordan from cedar falls is the opposite of the houston astros we want to see him win (laughs) and we want to cheer him on jordan from cedar falls believed in us before anybody else did it's true subsequently he'll he'll get a copy that scrooge mcduck lucky dime is jordan from cedar falls the tampa bay rays of our podcast oh yeah i I think so could be could be is jordan Jordan cedar Cedar falls Falls the arosarena of our podcast (laughs) (laughs) jordan from cedar falls is the opposite of oh i just blanked on his name the indy car driver we hate ray hall he's the opposite of graham (laughs) ray hall is Jordan from Cedar Falls that Alex Smith comes back and gets sacked six times and doesn't give a f- of our podcast? <laughs> no, because he doesn't get sacked. Yeah. Did yeah. you see the way that Aaron Donald hopped on his back and didn't like shatter his femur? Jeez, or, Aaron. Or is Jordan from Cedar Falls the Aaron Donald of our podcast and him like jumping on our back propels us to victory? Absolutely. Aaron, Aaron Donald even grabbed his leg to like see if it was firm or not. Like, Aaron Donald specifically was trying to break his leg again. He even said, he was like, man, that's a strong leg. <laughs> Are we sure that was Aaron Donald and not Indomitian Sue? That sounds like some shenanigans he had pulled. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we can probably talk another hour on that. Uh, that was nuts. All this to say, we want to give a big shout out to our first official best friend and friend of the podcast, Jordan from Cedar Falls. Thank you for believing in Fountain City Sports Media, Jordan. We'll get you. Uh, Thank you, Jordan from Cedar Falls. Gonna get you connected with that question. Thank you, Jordan from Cedar Falls. Gonna get you asking that question, and uh, we'll get you some exclusive Fountain City Sports Media swag. All right, Armando. That's all I have to say about that. Back to you. All right, and you know what? A quick shout out again to Alex Smith. We didn't talk about that on the last podcast. For him to come back from injury, if you guys haven't seen that that documentary yet uh, on ESPN, I think it's also on ESPN Plus. It talks about his journey coming back from the leg injury and literally almost dying. Uh, from him to do that to then go on the field, he should undoubtedly be the most improved player of the year. Uh, even even anything higher than that too. And and that most improved player of the year trophy should be named after. Alex Smith. So congratulations, Alex Smith. Ooh, hot take. I okay. Like it. Now the opposite of praising. It's time for the Shame None segment. For those of you that weren't here last time, I had a Shame None segment. And this 
is highlighting what happens in the Game of Thrones. If you guys seen Game of Thrones in one episode, um, Cersei has to atone for her sins and the shame nun is behind her during the whole walk of shame. And she's just going, shame, shame. Well, guess what? We have a few people to shame on this podcast today. First one up. And actually, I forgot to shame this person until Reese brought them up. The Houston Astros. Shame. Shame on you for thinking you can go back to the World Series. <laughs> shame on you for even being <laughs> able to play in the playoffs. Shame on you for tricking people into thinking that you are a real baseball team. Goodbye, Houston Astros. Boo. Does it feel like a delicious wrinkle in space time? That Houston this time was the one to push the series to seven and end in heartbreak, and the Dodgers were the one to come back and win their seven game series, the opposite of heartbreak. It's a, it's a perfect Disney story. Yeah, perfect Disney it just story. it feels right. It yeah. feels right. How generous of Tampa Bay and how sadistic of Tampa Bay to like go up three zero and then spot Houston three straight games just to be like, nah. <laughs> so shame I was on just you, Astros. With my dad today Boo. about like if you in your mind imagine a Tampa Bay versus LA Dodgers World Series or a Houston Astros versus Atlanta Braves series. That's like comparing. Like a delicious apple pie with just like a turd. <laughs> oh. I mean, listen, honestly, it probably would have been know, fine. I baseball, say this but. with love. I don't think any of my Houston friends listen to this podcast, but if they do, I mean, shout out to Minute Maid Park. Had a lot of great times there. I really don't have that much hatred in my heart for the Astros, except that, I mean, they cheated to win a title and they're dead to me. But, you know. I really don't have a problem with Richard Nixon if it weren't for the fact that he wiretapped the Watergate Hotel. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't argue with that. It's oh, fine. It's an election year. Go ahead. Everyone's, everyone's on a roll today. I love it. Let's keep the roll going. So Kyle is not invited back to Houston after that take. And I'm surprised Kyle is still invited back to this podcast. You know why? <laughs> You know why Kyle is number two on the shame none list for shame for shame. Bring it. Why bring you it. ask? You know what? No. Why you it. ask? Kyle today took a bet that the Chiefs would either win by only five points or that they would just flat out lose. Shame. They would flat out lose. He said that after a Raiders beatdown and thought that Patrick Mahomes would just come out there and be like, oh, am I really Patrick Mahomes? Maybe, maybe <laughs> Lamar is going to be the MVP. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe Josh Allen's the MVP. False. Defend <laughs> oh, yourself, oh, Kyle. I'm sorry. Do you know what's going on in my mind? Do you want to talk about why I made this bet? Okay. So the, first of all, the line's five and a half. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely don't know what goes on in your mind. <laughs> Okay, leading question. Fair enough. Okay, so the line's five and a half. My options are are to take Chiefs minus five and a half or Bills plus five and a half. I'm thinking, okay, well, uh, it's g probably going to be a low-scoring game because the weather is just right? Uh, we just came off of a really rusty game against the Raiders, and Buffalo also just dropped one, so both teams are probably not playing their best. That tells me it's likely to be a close game. 
I'm thinking it's probably more than likely that we probably win by a field goal. I don't see us dropping two games in a row, but I'm not confident enough that we beat them by a touchdown or more to take the Chiefs line. So I would rather bet on a close game by spotting a good Buffalo team five and a half points and just wait for it to play out within a field goal. And see, I made the mistake of starting Josh Allen against <laughs> us over Ryan Tannehill in fantasy football. But that, but is that, that a worse sin? No, because see, my logic. No, was, I mean, Josh Allen was better, and 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 Ryan Tannehill was sitting at 18 points until that like freak last two minutes of the game happened. So like I was I was right until the very end. Subsequently, I was wrong in picking Josh Allen and it cost me my fantasy football game. Shout out to a friend of the podcast, Corey Hardman, for uh, taking the W this week. Okay, Hard first fought. of Good all, job. I was also right until the very end. Like uh, we were we were sitting. No. Yes, I. I it's I, a I totally Chiefs was. fourth quarter. You can't say that. <laughs> I, you can't I, you say guys, I was right we until the end nine. because the we Chiefs are nine. amazing in the fourth quarter. We were up nine, giving the ball back. Yeah. To a Bills offense that can score on us, and very well could have marched down the field and scored a touchdown. You know, we win by either one or three, depending on if they converted two point conversion, and then they you know out the onside kick. And we go home, I win my money, everybody's happy. No. Kyle, you've seen every game Patrick Mahomes has played, and you should know better than everyone else that three quarters does not matter in a Patrick Mahomes offense, right? It's did always the fourth quarter that I matters. Said. Did you listen to the words yeah. that I just said? It's we I did. because, And the only yes. reason that we won by the score that we did is because of the turnover. Or maybe our defense would have stopped them, I'm not sure. But did I'm they- saying it was a good bet. I did I did listen to what you just said because you said that for most of the game you were correct and my argument is saying yes but most of the game does not matter when you play Patrick Mahomes the fourth quarter matters Also after 13-10 were they ever within 5.5 points of us I don't think they were I mean much of the game was 13-10 Reese Well but like when did we go up 20 to 10 that was third quarter wasn't it don't split hairs with me on this. I stand by the hairs that I made. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Stand by it. All of Kansas City is listening and all of Kansas City is cheering that you lost You're telling me that going into this bet. game, you were... You know what? I, we can't even play these games. You're, you're telling me that you were going into this game confident. Confident that we would beat the Bills by more than six points. I mean, since, yes. t- since Tennessee dropped a 40 bomb on him and Tennessee's not built to drop 40 points on a team, I assumed we would. Really? If you go, really? if you go back, if you go back to, to the receipts, Reese and I both said that we were going to, that the Chiefs were going to win confidently against the Bills. If you go back to the last podcast. So yes, we both predicted that we were going to be great and we were great. Let's get into the podcast. So savage. Our last podcast. Reese and I had a, it, it wasn't a heated debate, but it was okay, definitely an all, argument. Are, are you going to move on without letting me shame none, you guys? Because, okay. No, you can't. Okay. What are you going to shame Listen, none us for? The you know what? Chiefs I'm going to jump ahead in this outline that you've written that you're about to go in and introduce no, your don't. segment about a running back. Okay, fine. No. We're, if we're talking about going back to previous podcasts, we're about to talk about the fact that I was the only one defending Clyde Edwards-Alaire and how Andy Reid uses him. I was the only no, one defending him true. last week. No, that's not true. 
that is not true. It's absolutely true. Go back and listen. Hold on. I want to I want to go back into the podcast Wait, about getting what? Le'Veon Bell. Wait, you weren't part of the podcast about getting Le'Veon Bell. Hey, yeah, listen to that podcast and and listen to like how awesome I defended CEH. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So, Kyle, great. This is a great segment. I'm just going to throw it to you then because you love CH apparently. But also, so do I because in the last podcast, Reese and I were debating about what CEH's role is going to be like, how I thought he was doing an okay job. And I think Reese was saying that he could have he could have done better from weeks two to five, I think is is a safe thing that Reese said. But that did not happen today. CEH had the game of his life. In fact, CH had 161 yards today of the 245 rushing yards that we had against the Bills. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is now tied for third most single game rushing yards by a Chiefs rookie, only next to Kareem Hunt, who had 172. So, Kyle, I'll give it to you since you are such a big CH fan. What did CH do today that we didn't see weeks two to five? First of all, I don't appreciate the tone of your voice right now. I don't I don't remember you defending CH at all. Like what podcast did you do that in? And the Raiders reaction, we were talking about how like, oh, like he can't run up the gut in, two to, in weeks two to five and Andy's misusing him or whatever. But if you remember, I was talking about how essentially we get the the luxury to sometimes play conservative with our playbook and sometimes not, right? Like you go back and look at when CEH was the third option for LSU, right? Like going into the draft, we draft this guy and like there was some buzz like uh, that he might be an option for us, but we were all pretty shocked. I mean, I think we made a season zero podcast about that, that that he was the guy we took with our first pick. But And so then immediately we all go to YouTube and we're like, who is this guy? Turns out he's like literally option number three for the, and still goes in the first round for the, for, for the eventual national champions LSU. But you look at his highlight reel, Essentially, what we see in the LSU highlights are like how we thought he might be used, essentially not as like a red zone running back, right? Like he's not going to, he, I mean, he's pretty short, low center of gravity. He's really speedy, but he's not huge. And so he's not necessarily the guy that you would think would be kind of the meat and potatoes of our running offense, right? Like you might uh, see him, see Le'Veon Bell now used as like a decoy and then you just dump it off to CEH in the flat and he can just burn you for seven yards automatically before anybody even gets close. I think that's maybe more of what we thought he might be used as. But also today, I mean, he ran for what? Like 170 yards or something? What's the What's the stat on that? Uh, 161, yeah. I mean, we saw him just slice and dice them all over the field in, in a widely creative fashion. I think Reese was a- accurately maybe uh, dissing the playbook in weeks two through five because it seemed like we were just trying to send him up the middle every play, and that's not super effective. That's why it's exciting that we got Bell to do exactly that. But yeah, I thought uh, I thought he heard the haters and responded. It was awesome. Reese, we'll... What did you see that 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 was different? Because you definitely were talking last episode about how weeks two to five was not satisfactory. So what happened today that you didn't see in two two to five? The biggest difference between weeks two to five and what we saw tonight was just the fact that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire finally had some lanes and had some space to work. Like Kyle alluded to, we didn't pick up Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to be a three-down back and to ram him into the line and have him truck a hole that's not there. 
we picked up Clyde Edwards-Alaire for his moves, which we've seen multiple times through the season when he has just a step of space. He's so freaking hard to bring down when there's a step of space. Is he going to try and truck you like a 5-7 cannonball? Possibly. Is he going to juke you out of your shoes? Very likely. Is he going to spin off you and make it look like you're on roller skates? Absolutely. Tonight, for the first time all season, he had all the space to do whatever he wanted to do. And while not the fastest running back, has just enough of a burst to hit those holes, do one move on you, and get going downfield before you know it. So, Reese, are you telling me that weeks two to five had nothing to do with CEH, but more so the O-line? Well, uh, a bit of column A, a bit of column B. I think CEH looked a little bit more patient tonight in waiting for his holes to develop. Even in plays where they were kind of like halfback dives, he wasn't just plowing straight into the line with his eyes closed. He seemed to have an extra step or two of patience. But that's why I'm glad we brought Le'Veon Bell in, is because now we can keep finesse guys like Clyde Edwards-Alaire fresh, keep those legs moving so we can do those moves, and we now we have Le'Veon Bell to go in there and be just like the battering ram and do all the dirty work for him. I'm going to... I'm going to wait for my uh, Le'Veon Bell take until we get there. But before then, I'm going to jump on your point, Reese, and saying that our offensive line did look amazing today. And I do want to mention that weeks two to five, those defensive lines were very good, right? Patriots, Raiders have looked formidable in the D-line. Chargers, like all these teams play really well, especially against the run. So I definitely was never worried about CH because a lot of the runs that didn't look good were runs that he had no space exactly what you were talking about right the reason why he looked bad two to five was because of that and to Kyle's point actually maybe Andy knew all that and that's why Andy wasn't giving him a lot of carries in those games he lets Clyde Edwards Hilaire carried the ball 25 times today which is like a Dalvin Cook uh Ezekiel Elliott uh Alvin Kamara type of game. So I kind of agree with Kyle as well that they we we played really good defenses 2 to 5. I think if we didn't have Le'Veon Bell for the rest of the season, Clyde Edwards Hilaire would be a top running back in the NFL. Reese, do you know where Clyde Edwards Hilaire is on top running backs in the year when it comes to rushing yards? And sidebar, before we move on to that, just remember, Le'Veon Bell has barely taken any snaps for two years. So we're expecting him to be effective and we're expecting him to be a monster like he was. But, you know, I mean, it's not out of the question that CEH has the kind of year that you just alluded to. Oh, yeah. Our, our, yeah. Bo- our boy's going to be fresh. Uh, I believe coming into the game tonight, wasn't Clyde edwards Alaire like seventh in the league? So he was he was 17 going into the game. After the game, Derrick Henry won CEH two in rushing yards in the NFL. Wow, wow! Which so he had he he had two he had two big games. Of course, I know that that kind of skews it. But all I'm saying is that we're gonna have an incredibly strong schedule at the end of the year. Like from now until the end of the year, if we didn't have Le'Veon Bell, I think he would be a top five running back. Yes, by the end of the year when all things are said and done and he counts all of his yards, yeah, he's bound to have some more huge games like he had week one and he had tonight. Definitely. 
right. <laughs> Damn, I was I was trying to bait you, Reese. You didn't you didn't take the bait. Well, what did you what do you want to bait me? I I mean I I can take that take back and give you some more stats if you want. <laughs> no, it's fine. I was I was I was just hoping for you to be like, uh, who 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 cares? It's Le- Le'Veon Bell season, baby. Ring that cowbell. Ding ding ding. I was waiting for that, but I didn't get that from you. Dude, you do a good me impression. Can I hire you? Yeah, it's pretty good. But um, bang. All right, I want to move on to our offensive line. So today, Daniel Kilgore got the start at center. I'd never heard of this guy before. There's always these guys that the Chiefs bring in that I've never heard of. And I like I obviously do research. We all do research on the Chiefs. And I'm like, who the hell are these guys? So Daniel Kilgore gets the starting job today at center. Uh, Nick Al. Allegretti uh, starts today at left guard, and then Reimers moves to right guard today, which sounds like a disaster. It sounds like a disaster, especially for a Bills team that came into this game four and one. But we come out of this game looking like one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. What the hell happened? Is it possible that complacency and chemistry were just two major issues in our offensive line up to this game? You know, losing Mitchell Schwartz is that doesn't sound like a good thing on paper. And I'm not going to say I'm glad Mitchell Schwartz is gone. We're more talented without Mitchell Schwartz. But perhaps this was just the combination of wires that needed to be connected to light up the circuit board. I mean, Daniel Kilgore sounds like one of the dudes from like the platoon and predator, you know, he's, that sounds like a made up <laughs> name, you know, and, and like Nick Allegretti, I guess, gets like the fancy offensive lineman name now that like Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is no longer there. So, I mean, I, I don't know who this ragtag group of bad news bears are, but man, they were making holes that I probably could have run for over 100 yards tonight. It's like, are you kidding me? And full disclosure, Reese has no cartilage in one knee. Yeah, seriously. I've got I got some other dude's ACL in my left knee. <laughs> sorry, that's that's the one. I'm so Shout sorry. Shout out to my cadaver ACL buddy, friend of the podcast. Jeez, Louise. Wah, wah, oh wah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, okay, yeah, I was, I was. Full, full disclosure, Reese does not have early onset osteoporosis. He just tore his ACL. Yeah, that, that dude donated like the $10,000 tier. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and move on so we stop making Reese feel like like $5 because Reese is $5 million worth, not $5 worth. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm <laughs> I'm going to jump on on Reese's take. And you're right, Reese. Like when when there's pressure on an offensive line, when they don't have a lot going on, like next man up has to really show up. And they really did in full force. Like Nick, Nick was was bulldozing people today. And there was huge gaps, huge gaps for CH. There was gaps for Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes carried the ball 10 times today. I mean, there was so much good stuff happening on the O-line. And that's something that we were talking about on the last podcast about the O-line being one of the biggest factors of whether we were going to make it all the way to the Super Bowl, right? Because we have Le'Veon Bell, Super Bowl or bust, but a big factor is our O-line and our cornerbacks. But this kind of makes me feel good now that we have these second stringers that can come in and play well against a playoff team like the Bills. Um, so I'm definitely happy moving forward, and this hole that we had definitely doesn't feel like a hole anymore. All right, moving on. Reese, uh, sorry, this one's for you. This one's, uh, Kyle, you can chime in too, but I'm I'm going to hit Reese with this one. After CEH looks like Barry Sanders today, what does this mean for Le'Veon Bell in our system? Is it going to still be uh, 60-30? Is it 50-50? Is it now 80-20 because of 
Clyde, Barry Sanders, Edwards, Elaire. I'll tell you what this means for us. Forget the fact that Clyde Edwards, Elaire looked like Barry Sanders. Let's point out the part that Daryl Williams looked like he was Mike Allstott out there. So if he's Mike Allstott, what's <laughs> plugging Le'Veon Bell into Damian or Darren Williams' position going to get you? You know, I think I don't think anything changes. To be honest, it's it's like if anything, some of these carries late in the game to ice the game are going to go to Le'Veon Bell because this is kind of like. When the Cubs got a role as Chapman, and basically just like, you know, tried to tried to ride the tread off the tires on that guy. They knew he was a one-year rental. They're like, hey, let's get every last like unethical, inhumane drop we can out of this guy's arm because next year he's not our problem. Well, now we got, like I said, we got Le'Veon Bell to kind of do our dirty work late in games and to punch in holes and to fight on the goal line and to scrap and all that stuff. We don't have to take so much tread off of Clyde Edwards-Alaire's tires when we got Le'Veon Bell to come in here and just look like a superstar if he has these kind of holes that are open on the line. Okay, Reese, so so you think it's going to be a 60-30 then? Clyde Edwards, Le'Veon Bell, and maybe no Darrell Williams now? Oh, I think, I think what we'll see is what? If we want to call tonight 75, let's call it 70, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 20... Daryl Williams and like I don't know 10% Darwin Thompson I just think we have Daryl Williams bumped down to that Darwin Thompson spot now and we have Le'Veon Bell taking those carries on the goal line like like on that fourth and inches we saw earlier with uh, you know Daryl Williams when they're like we know he's going to run at us let's stack the box and he was just able to walk right into the end zone that's the kind of carry that's going to go to Le'Veon Bell now which is an even higher percentage you know carry with a running back like that taking the ball i don't see why you're i don't see why you're so worried about this man it's like (laughs) tonight didn't tell anything different about Le'Veon bell's usage it just showed us now that like this one two we're gonna have with clyde and Le'Veon is gonna be even more deadly i see this as an absolute win i think we can also sort of put some of this on the coordinators right because um, to, you know, tonight on the on the Fox broadcast, they were heralding Eric Bieniemy as a soon-to-be head coach, which I 100% believe. Oh, I'm yeah. sure he will be somewhere, right? I mean, <clears throat> the the coaching carousel is almost as um, much of a roller coaster as the QB carousel in you know the NFL in the 2020s that we're now in. Um, but I think not only is the creativity of the Bieniemy Reed alliance when it comes to the playbook going to be huge. And in terms of, you know, like, like you guys alluded to, uh, sort of fussing with the percentages to see, you know, which back to use and which scheme. But also, you know, I think decoys are going to be a big story of, uh, of what makes Bell such a big weapon, um, especially depending on the caliber of the defense, how they're choosing to play us, how they're choosing to contain us. And uh, lots of lots of. Um, ability to improvise there but also let's keep in mind you know Le'Veon Bell had super contentious relationships with both of his last two teams right so that's not out of the question that that could happen again um but there has to be something about the relationship with the Chiefs maybe it's just he wants a ring fine but uh there there you know there has to be something there that he wants to come play for us and so it's exciting, but well, I'm you not know, so worried about Le'Veon Bell being a locker room issue because you, the time when he sat out for his money at Pittsburgh, you know, it was 
it was not a great time in the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. Ben Roethlisberger's head, as we discovered, was not quite there. He had other things going on in his personal life and on his mind. That was about the time Antonio Brown really started, you know, being Antonio Brown as we know him nowadays. And I feel like the third killer B was just kind of like, well, if everyone else is going to kind of throw a fit, I'm going to throw a fit too. And then as far as his New York Jets tenure goes, what was the best thing to come out of the New York Jets for the last, like, 25 years? Vinny Testaverde? You know, maybe, like, two years of Keyshawn Johnson? Nothing good has come out of that. I'm going to go so far back, freaking, like, Joe Namath, you know? It's like, that's the best thing to come out of the New York Jets for a while. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm going to pivot a little bit, Reese, because I want to mention your point that you originally made, saying that, this didn't change anything for you. Le- Le'Veon Bell is going to have the same role that he would have had signing. I disagree with that. I I was worried that Clyde and Le'Veon were going to have a 50-50 split and that it was going to be a two-headed monster style, all the Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, all the Raheem Mostert, and uh, Jared McKinnon. And I know they have a bunch of other running backs there in San Francisco, but something like that where it's more like a 50-50 split. And I think today... Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went Michael Jordan today. He was listening to Fountain City Sports Media. He was listening to 610 Radio, 810 Radio, hearing all this excitement. He was seeing Patrick Mahomes' gif of how excited he was at Le'Veon Bell, and he said, you know what? I'm the starting running back of the Kansas City Chiefs, and don't forget it. Absolutely. He came in today, and I think Andy, I think Andy also told him this week and said, hey, hey, man. Like, we we love you, dude. We, like, like Wayne's World. You know, like, when Wayne's World, when it's like, man, I, no, man, I love you. No, no, I love you, bro. Like, that's what Andy did today. Andy was like, I love you, bro. I'm going to give you 25 carries, and we're just going to bulldoze these guys, and I want you to know that you are you are the starting running back. So I was scared that it was going to be 50-50, but it's official. It's going to be a 60-30 or even more than that, more of a split. I always thought it was going to be a 60-30 or more split. You're the ones chicken little and out here saying the sky's <laughs> falling. When there was no reality, we get worse by adding Le'Veon Bell to our team and keeping him away from other teams. Would you be more... I may have taken Kyle's 5.5 spread tonight if the Buffalo Bills had wound up with Le'Veon Bell on their team. They, The way Josh Allen was playing, they really could have used a Le'Veon Bell on their team tonight. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You're you're right. I'm the one that that made the 50-50. You you never said 50-50, but I was definitely worried it was gonna be a 50-50 split, and I knew it. We would be fine. I knew like we're definitely Super Bowl favorites, and I, I don't think he's gonna be a cancer in the locker room. Like you're right. I just like there's so much potential for Clyde Edwards-Helaire, just like we saw today, like 161 yards, the second most to Kareem Hunt. Like he is a special dude, and we can't let him think that he's second tier we can't let him think that he's second fiddle right he's first fiddle 60 30 all the way i guess i'm just debating myself you're right reese you i, I think you did agree 60 30 but it's still fun to talk about absolutely all right we are back with a b review reese is going to give b review number two it's been uh it's been a couple of days since your last one. You ready for another one, Reese? Absolutely. I am a rear and array to go on this beer review because we just got done beating the Buffalo Bills, which before I jump into that, can I tell you a little Buffalo Bills first-hand account story I had recently? That you never ask. 
So I was working at the beer hall this last weekend at Boulevard, and we had our October Fiesta Festival, which is a combination of like Oktoberfest and Dia de los Muertos. So it's really cool. And one of the things we did was we were selling these full liter Stein glasses, and you could get it filled with Bob's 47 Oktoberfest, and it was like a, a crazy low price. Great value, great value. This dude comes up, and he's got to be my height, you know, so about ballpark 6'5", but he's got to be like 310 pounds, you know, a big dude. And he's decked out in this Buffalo Bills starter jacket, this Buffalo Bills face mask, and he orders the 32-ounce Stein full of Bob's Oktoberfest. And I'm just like, yo, thank you so much for like living up to the very high standards of what I believe your fan base to be. <laughs> he was what, co- what was he doing in Kansas City? I mean, the game the game was in Buffalo. I don't know. Maybe he was just like a Bills fan that's like now living in Kansas City or somebody. He was super nice, super chill, and I'm just like, yo, Bills Mafia, bro. Like, way to rep your fan base. Good work. <laughs> well, we can say it now because we beat him, but probably wouldn't say it if we would have lost. Absolutely um, not. I would have tracked his credit card <laughs> number back to his house. And with that, what are you drinking today, Reese? This is a special one that I wanted to wait until I had our boy Kyle on the podcast with us because this is an Iowa brewery. Oh, none here other, we go. None other than the little brewery that could up in Decorah, Iowa, repping Toppling Goliath Brewing Company tonight is Pompeii India Pale Ale. You know where I just was yesterday? Where were you just yesterday? Toppling Goliath. You went to Toppling G yesterday? I what? sure did. Oh, why didn't you tell us? You could have brought us some beer. Yeah. I would have paid you to sell. How to was give your us experience? Beer. What did you have? It was great. Um, they had a very strict, um, distanced, masked policy, which was really nice. I haven't really been going anywhere in person during uh, coronavirus, and neither should you, dear listeners. Um, I had just gotten off of a uh, backpacking trip this weekend, and. Um, so we were starving and thirsty for a beer. So we um, sort of swung by to see, you know, how it was run. And it was like, made us feel super comfortable. It was a really awesome experience. And uh, yeah, I had, uh, hold please, I have to look up the beer I had. It was super good. What, okay, when you guys go to some of the best breweries in America, you have to text me and tell me you're going. and I will Venmo you money to get me beer. Because the only thing we get out here is Pseudo Sioux and King Sioux and Pompeii. Yeah, it's 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 rough. Back when I was in Iowa recently, they had this, this gas station called the Music Station. Shout out to Music Station, friend of the podcast. And they have a lot of good beer selection for like an Iowa gas station. And they had like one cooler door full of Toppling Goliath stuff. But I don't know what it was. One of the four packs there was no lie, like 38 bucks. And I'm like, yo, who is 38 bucks for a tall boy four pack? I don't care who it is. <laughs> I can't. All I right, can't um, find what beer it was. Um, <laughs> it turns out it wasn't Toppling Goliath. You went. To, you went to like. <laughs> you went to like Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I went to like Poppling Orion. Poppling Orion. Yeah. Oh jeez. <laughs> uh, I had Intergalactic Warrior. Intergalactic Warrior. Right on. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Galaxy and Warrior hops join forces to create a beer with a bitter punch, big body, bold flavor, boost of citrus rind, and a kick of spiciness. Wow, was it good? It was delicious. Yeah, dude, right on. Did you buy anything to take home to review later? 
No, I'm actually uh, I'm doing another one of my uh, Kyle drinks Lacroix for a couple weeks. So that was kind of my swan song after getting off the trail. Oh, man. But hey, you know the last one for a little bit might as well be toppling Goliath, right? Off the wagon, back True. on the trail. I understand how that can be. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we've uh, we've waxed poetic on this wonderful brewery and the wonderful coincidences we all share with it. So without further ado. Armando, for our listeners' sake, what's the first thing we review here on this beer review? First thing we do is aroma. All right, pouring it out into a glass. Did you tell us what the beer was? I did. Pompeii India Pale Ale. I was going to make a joke about seeing if my pop filter was working, but then you got so excited about going to Toppling Goliath. That that was oh, one. I'm so sorry. That- Pom- Pompeii is actually one of my favorite beers. Uh- from Toplin Goliath. I had it in Des Moines when I was there, and I was like, oh my god, this beer's amazing. And I didn't know what Toplin Goliath was at that oh. point. Didn't I bring that to you? Uh, I think I did. Uh, I had it at a bar with Jonathan Johnson. Oh, never mind. Well, first off here with Aroma, we are getting just orange galore, <laughs> and I'm going to be super pompous and be like, these aren't just oranges. These are. This is obviously Tangelo. So, Don't you think you're being Pompace? Oh! Hey. Got him. No, definitely a lot of citrus fruit, a lot of orange, a lot of that tropical mango kiwi nonsense you kind of get from these juicy IPAs. I'm going to give aroma on this. That is a 9-6, boys. Atta boy. Wow, 9-6. Yeah, toppling Goliath. Big big stonks of Toppling Goliath. Appearance. Appearance? Man, there. Uh, I don't know if this is just this uh, particular can. There's a lot of sediment in this. So I'm just going to guess that maybe this is a, a little bit past its go-around in terms of appearance, but it is a beautiful, a beautiful translucent golden color. I would say one quarter of an opaqueness of color. It's not quite Space Camper opaque, which I don't even think Space Camper is that opaque. So it's definitely an attractive beer. Uh, I'm going to give the appearance on this beer uh, 8.4. Nice. Flavor. My favorite. Oh, yeah, that is a Toppling Goliath IPA. That thing is delicious. You get a lot of those tropical fruits, particularly the kiwi. The kiwi really jumps out at me on this one. It's nice. It's it's dank without being too dank. You know, this definitely is not is not treading into West Coast IPA territory. It's a very juicy IPA without being a hazy IPA. So... I can't see how people that don't like hazies would have a problem with this personally. This is very refreshing and easy to drink. I'm giving flavor on this a 9.0. Ooh, keep the nines coming, baby. Uh, mouthfeel. It's very light in the mouth. It's not as a carbonated feeling as you might think, or maybe even as carbonated as it looks. There's a lot of carbonation going on here. But it's soft in the mouth. It... I don't, it doesn't drink like a juice, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm gonna, gonna go in for seconds really quick. Yeah, man, it's there, and then it's gone, because it goes down your throat, and it goes down your throat really easy. I'm gonna give mouthfeel on this a solid 8.8. Nice. 8.8. Hell easy. And then we have aftertaste. Aftertaste is where a lot of the hop note comes out, a lot of the uh, luponic distinction of said hops it's that's where a lot of the bitterness a lot of the tang more of the dankness comes out of that's where if i just graded this off of aftertaste 
I could be like, oh yeah, this is totally a West Coast IPA. But in reality, it's not. So the fact that it's kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in that regards, I like it. Aftertaste, I'm going to give it an 8.7. Nice. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's um, When I first had it, I definitely thought way West Coast IPA over hazy. Uh, but then the more you have it, the more you do get a lot of the different flavors that you do get in like a hazy profile. Uh, but yeah, it definitely does. It, it definitely does trick you with its hot profile because it is kind of dank, kind of bitter. So good analysis, Reese. And then last but not least, the BDQ, or should I say Blyde Deadwards Quillaire. Man. Ooh. This one is... It's hard to give it a high BDQ, which isn't fair, because it's just like tonight where the Chiefs can put 26 points on the board, which, show of hands, teams in the NFL that wish they could put 26 points on the board and have that be a low-scoring output. What I'm getting at with this is the fact that, like, Toppling Goliath puts out so many of these IPAs that while another just, you know, stand-up, sit-down, fight, 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 fantastic IPA, it really doesn't distinguish itself from their other great IPAs they have on board so in those regards I'm going to punish it for doing a good job I'm going to give BDQ on this just a 7 just a 7 just a 7 lesser beers could be so lucky oh exactly that's true shout out to Toppling Goliath for always having bangers I'm really I really want to try their uh, Imperial Stouts the uh, Assassin series oh yeah I had that once I know, Kyle. Kyle, you live three hours away, or how? Oh, how it's about three and a half. Yeah. I will. I will pay for your gas money if you go, like during one of their Imperial Stout releases, to get me an assassin. It would be my honor. It's like stuff like that on like second trade value goes for two hundred, three, three hundred dollars a bottle. Oh yeah, dude. You get two bottles of that, you pay for one Chiefs ticket this year. Chiefs, Chiefs against the uh, Raiders. debate reese and i just had i'm gonna give reese the floor reese this is your segment hashtag referees and there's a there's kind of a lot of referee stuff that happened today the floor is yours i'm exhausted that's all i can say i'm exhausted and there's so much going on with the officiating just across the league but in particular it really seems to just be affecting us and maybe, you know, it's just because I'm being a homer. Or maybe it's the fact that they've taken four touchdowns off the board against us over the last two games, which I know no stat exists for that, but that has to be close to some kind of a record. You know, it's it's one thing back in like 2018 where every third down, it felt like they'd call some soft and or phantom holding call on our defense. Not pass interference, but holding. Yeah, that was you wild. Know, but now it's like... They'll call some soft take the touchdown off the board call against us. And like the the soup du jour this year seems to be holding. So here's here's number one. Clyde Edwards Alaire had that wonderful touchdown taken off the board because of that terrible holding call. And I, I joke to some people in a text thread now. It's like holding calls are the new catch definitions, by which I mean I don't know what constitutes a holding anymore because it feels like tonight especially you saw our defensive line crashing Kyle Allen a whole bunch throughout like the entire game but like our guys were in chokeholds they were getting master locked and there was no holding call but then when we put on a really good block to clear a lane for Clyde like holding or if it's like a punt return that goes for nothing you know 
They're like, oh, this guy who wasn't even part of the play uh, holding like 15 yards down the field. It's just, it's the worst. Did you guys notice that tonight? I mean, I, I noticed that we were penalized for 44 yards before they even blew a whistle on the, on the, well, and that's the other ridiculous thing is the fact that the Bills had no penalties until the fourth quarter fall start. LOL, okay. Because wasn't that the same song and dance with the Patriots a couple weeks back? Was that they hadn't they had like one penalty all season until it was like I think mid third, fourth quarter when Stidham came in, they got a false start, and that was like the first penalty they had against him the entire game. I also do wonder if we used up a little bit of our referee karma, though, when they picked up the flag on that P.I. call. And the fact that they spotted us that one, even though it was the right call to pick up the flag, means that maybe they were a little harsher later. No, no, that that was a terrible flag, and they all knew that. They didn't have to see the replay. It was. They didn't have to see the replay to know that he turned his head around, got nothing but ball. Like That was textbook defense. I just... uh, I'm just looking for consistency, and the only consistency I'm finding in the league right now is that the referees seem to be consistently bad, and like consistently bad at doing basic things. I mean, looking later into the fourth quarter, we had that like five-minute kerfuffle where there was the false start penalty on Diggs for not getting back to the line in time and moving around, and you know, of course, just like the last penalty they had, this one actually benefited them. If you remember earlier on in the game, there was that false start on him. Allen dove for that fourth and one. Remember he tried to like outstretch yeah. and he was short. And they're like, uh, uh, no, false start, five-yard penalty, do overplay. And it's like, no, that's a turnover on downs on their 30, buddy. Andy, so it sure Andy is. Was, was also pissed. I, I've I, I've never seen Andy get so pissed before. If they actually panned to him and they were like, he, he, he was yeah. livid. They didn't measure. Yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't measure the uh, the what, what, when we went for it on fourth down. Well, that's because and, and the very next play, then you know Williams ran that touchdown in, which was absolutely karma from the universe. You know, it's it's just extremely frustrating. I'm not saying the refs are out to get the Chiefs. Only the Chiefs ever get bad calls on them. But for for crying out loud, let the teams play. I would much rather see high-scoring affairs that let kind of basic holding calls go by than watch four touchdowns get taken off of the board or continually watch BS holding calls on punt returns that are like five yards like that matters at all. I think the only way to fix this is to keep the, like hold the referees more accountable. And I don't know what that looks like, but I just remember seeing how many of these referees have this as their part-time job. This is like their side gig. Why aren't referees held to like the same standards as FIFA referees where it's like, yo, man, this is your career. You're going to be watching X amount of tape a week, attending X amount of seminars, having talks from retired officials to keep them sharp and on their game. Yeah, and, 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 and refereeing should be better this year because there are no fans. Like, there's clearly no bias of fans booing or cheering anything, so they can literally just focus on the game and not have any hecklers around them, other than, of course, people on the sidelines. But this should definitely be a cleaner game and more of a let-the-guys-play atmosphere than when there weren't fans. You would think... You would think. <laughs> All right, well, this next segment will cheer you up. We faced the uh, leading MVP candidate this year, Josh Allen, who, like I said in the previous podcast, was actually on pace for almost 6,000 yards to start the season. Like he had, I forgot, over 300 yards for the first three games, which then translated into having one of the best 
NFL passing seasons in the history of the NFL. Well, guess what? We ruined that for him. Josh Allen had 127 passing yards today. Yeah, big MVP there. Kyle, did 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 we just ruin his MVP chances? Uh, probably. I mean, the only reason I say that is because obviously the 24-hour like media cycle loves to latch on to any kind of Lamar Jackson is the greatest of all time or you know like really outlandish um, narratives surrounding quarterbacks which we can get into the whole like draft class discussion about I don't know how the hell Josh Rosen went as high as he did. That entire draft class of quarterbacks was fool's gold and I was saying it heading into the draft. (laughs) Because Josh Rosen was in a West Coast offense. Get out of here. Listen, the the only one that the only one that I said was going to be any good was Lamar Jackson. And that's not quite been true, but it's been close to true. Anyway, so uh, a reason I bring up sort of like the media narrative is like all the articles we were seeing around Allen had to do with is he going to have a 6000 yard season? Right. And like totally just really impressed by his stats partially because the bills played a bunch of weak teams early on right so it feels like they could just pad the stats and it's all about like can he get to the six thousand yards so for me the fact that he has a pretty piss poor game against a, a team like us and you know really drops the ball against the titans last week no he's not he's not an MVP. so candidate. reese how did we beat him with our average defense <laughs> I think two things did Josh Allen in tonight. Number one, we have to give credit to our defensive line. After a week against the Raiders where Frank Clark and Chris Jones were a big non-factor, almost not there at all, they were on Josh Allen harassing him all night. And even though they didn't register a sack on him tonight, they made his life a nightmare. That pocket was collapsing and crumbling like the city of Pompeii, man. It was a nightmare for him. Number two, Josh Allen did Josh Allen in. He had a number of wide open throws and time in the pocket that he straight up couldn't hit. I thought earlier in the broadcast when they mentioned his draft profile saying that he was more of a thrower than a passer, man, if that wasn't just on display tonight, do I think he has a stronger arm than Patrick Mahomes? You know, it's very possible. That's a, That guy's got a howitzer on his arm. Do I think he could hit an end zone from, like, 20 yards away? Mm, maybe, maybe not. Whereas Patrick Mahomes is just going to surgically cut that defense up. Great take. Yeah, I, I think I think we definitely exposed Josh tonight, just like you said. There were a ton of overthrown passes today. I mean, he had he had digs, like, right in, in the middle of the end zone, wide open and just overthrew him. I think that was in the first quarter. And then a couple more where he just overthrew him a lot. So he's definitely not this accurate quarterback that everybody was saying that he was. I forgot who tonight was saying it in the beginning of the game. One of the announcers did. Uh, but that's false. I mean, in pressure, like like you were saying, he just doesn't show up. He's a big guy. He runs very well for a big guy. I mean, I was very impressed by his running. In fact, he had the most rushing guards on his team. He had 42 rushing guards with eight carries, which was only two less than Devin Singletary. So he's definitely a dual threat. He has a lot of weapons, I thought, and and that proven to be Diggs had an okay game, and so did uh, Cole Beasley. Uh, but he's not an MVP candidate, guys. 
just like Kyle was saying, strength of schedule is very important, right? Didn't have a great schedule in the beginning. Now he play, Now he faces a very good team. Even though we have, like I said, an average defense, they showed up tonight and showed Josh Allen he's average. Well, another thing to remember about Allen as well is the fact that he's a product of that Craig Bull system alongside his buddy Carson Wentz. You know, Allen went to Wyoming when Bull was there. Wentz was at North Dakota State when Bull was there. And they're both two very similar quarterbacks that have very similar draft profiles. They're both like these big, tall, meaty quarterbacks with big old arms, but their actual touch is very suspect. Now, you know, that's less apparent in college ball when you got some guy tearing up FCS and you got some guy playing in, what are they, in the Mountain West Conference? I would have been interested to see how either of their draft stocks would have looked if they played FBS ball at a Power 5 school. You know, if they played in the Big Ten for a whole season, if they played in the SEC for a whole season, would they still have these high profiles they had now? Or would that stock of being giant guys with very strong, very inaccurate arms kind of bite them a bit more? <laughs> yeah, they, no, that's, that, that's a very good take. And I definitely think that in the future, they're going to reevaluate people from those schools. Cause you're right. You have to play good defenses. Like, like, and, and you, and you also have to have accurate quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, a very accurate quarterback, Lamar Jackson, even though we don't like the way that he plays is a pretty accurate quarterback. Honestly, Aaron Rodgers accurate Deshaun Watson, when he needs to be as accurate and, and Josh Allen has the weapons. Like he has, Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is great. He has Devin Singletary. He has Zach Moss. Like, there really is no excuse anymore, guys. And just a little bonus stat for you for, you know, what good is a long arm if you can't aim it? Josh Allen only has two passes this year greater than 45 yards. His next longest this wow. season is 39 yards against the Rams, you know? So it's, it's so cool to see that he can throw the length of the football field, but what good is it if he can't hit the broadside of a barn? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, a, a couple of his shots at the end zone, I mean, he really only took two, I guess, today. But, it, I mean, it, it would be scary if it were accurate, which I, I don't mean to sound as backhanded as it does. Yeah, agreed. Now let's round it out, guys. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I want to talk about the defense. So we've played a lot of people this year. Where has the defense been elite? They've been elite against the elite, right? We've showed up against Lamar Jackson. We showed up against Deshaun Watson, and we just showed up against Josh Allen. Where did we not show up? Against Jared Stidham, against Justin Herbert, against Derek Carr. So I think we're starting to see a trend here, and this can go to either of you guys. When our defense is focused, who can beat us? I mean, I think the answer is you have to catch our defense sleeping and put a bunch of points on the board like the Raiders did. But that's not super easy to do because... Like you pointed out, in big games, our defense really doesn't come out sleeping, you know? So far, you look at our biggest games of the year, as you mentioned, the Texans before they knew they were bad, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, Josh Allen and the Bills. They always show up. Last year, they had some snoozer head-scratching losses, but when it really mattered in the playoffs, they always showed up. I think this just shows that we still are the crown jewel of the league. We are the bar. We are the team to beat. And when we're on, it's dang near impossible to beat this team when they're on. I don't particularly have anything to add to that. I think that's that's everything we need to know. Yeah, no, exactly. We play well against good teams, and we don't show up sometimes when we play bad teams. But going forward, 
I think there is no team that can beat us going forward. We're going to play a good Saints. Well, I don't even know if they're a good Saints team anymore. Like the only team on this schedule right now that I think could be a, a tough matchup is against the Saints. But even the Saints aren't playing well. So I'm looking at the rest of the season and I'm saying no one can beat us on paper right now. No one. And then when we go into the playoffs, who can beat us in the playoffs? If, if we face the Ravens again, okay, we know how that's going to happen. We face the Bills again, okay? I'm a little nervous about the Steelers because their defense looks amazing. But even with an amazing defense, Patrick Mahomes has played amazing defenses, right? 49ers, quote-unquote, was supposed to be an amazing defense. Boo. Ravens, quote-unquote, was supposed to be an amazing defense. Ah. So going forward... I will knock on wood because if we don't show up to a game, if we snooze, we will lose. But if we are on our game, if we are focused, no one in this league can beat us. That's a hot take, but really not that hot. How much is it going to sting, though, if we wind up going 18-1 and one and our only loss was that Raiders game we got caught napping? <laughs> Derek Carr gets like this huge tattoo <laughs> saying, I beat Patrick in 2020. I am the one in 18-1. and one. <laughs> <laughs> but like spells Patrick wrong or something. Yeah, spells it like Patrick or something. It's just like uh, it's like Obi Wan Kenobi. You were the chosen one. <laughs> oh, boo! <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap it up really quick. We don't have to talk about this a lot, but we should just for con- continuity. Uh, next week we play the Broncos. What are your prediction, boys? Eh. Beat them by 28. Oh, man. I don't know if we'll beat them by 28. That's a pretty rich stretch. And I'm afraid to judge this one because last time I had us in a blowout, I think we lost to the Raiders, didn't we? Drew Locke has not looked good this season, particularly coming off of injury last week when they could only muster 18 points all field goals. Barf. You know, the game is at Arrowhead. I'm really hoping that we come out there and just, again, don't play to the minimum effort that we feel we need to play to get the win because that's almost cost us and has cost us games this season. So I hope we come out there and just like ride the Broncos, man, if you know what I mean. Ride the Broncos to the tune of a really (laughs) entertaining, really flexy, really confident win. I think... It's going to be like the rest of the or the previous games that we've had. I think those first two quarters, the Broncos are going to show up defensively like they actually played really well against the uh, Patriots last uh, this last week. So I think that their defense is going to show up, but then we're going to adjust and it's going to be fine. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if those first couple of quarters, our defense or our offense goes out there being like, oh, wait, uh oh, what are they doing? Okay. And then Andy's like, all right, it's fine. We'll change it. And then we're going to win by a lot. But that's my prediction. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. Find us on Instagram at FountainCitySM to get updates on the podcast, sports, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Music